0: Yeah, so we're going to be looking, I think, in a couple different places. John chapter 2 and John chapter 1. I think we're going to do chapter 2 before we do chapter 1. Um, there's something beautiful about the life of Jesus. Is The life of Jesus is an invitation. It's not like God was showing off saying, look what I can do, and then you're just going to have to watch and then just kind of live a little meager existence over there. Everything that Jesus did was so that we might identify with him and begin to walk in the same way that he walked. And so when you read about the life of Jesus, it's an invitation to share in that life and in that relationship. And the same relationship that he had with the Father, he's calling you to have with the Father. And he's inviting us in on this beautiful uh, journey, this beautiful adventure of life with him. What happens is, is we sometimes settle for less than our potential, or we settle for less than what God has for us, because sometimes we just simply don't know. We don't know what God's inviting us into, and so we just kind of drop anchor, and we stay put, and 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 we don't grow, and we don't keep pushing forward, and we don't We don't keep going deeper into the Lord and and finding out the the new things that God wants us to bring. What I've found is, is obedience is different in every season of my life. Sometimes obedience with God is sit still and chill out. And then sometimes obedience with God is you need to get going and start running. What is wrong with you, right? Uh, each season has its own. And, and so if I'm in tune with the Lord and if I'm walking in relationship with him, uh, I, I'm being moved and being, and being moved by his spirit and being brought into new revelation and to new, into new, um, new seasons with him. And so that's just going to require different things uh, in each season that I'm in. So when we read about the Gospels, the Gospels are the good news about Jesus The gospel is Jesus came, died for our sins, rose from the dead, and and, and ascended into heaven, and and we're called to believe in that. That That is a part of the gospel. But the whole life of Jesus is a gospel. The gospel of Matthew, gospel of Mark, right? It's not limited to the death, burial, and resurrection. There's a whole lot Jesus did before he died uh, you know, was crucified, dead and buried, rose again and ascended into heaven. He did a lot of stuff. He taught a lot of things. And we tend to shoot right to the crucifixion because we got to hurry up and get everybody saved really quick. So we shoot right to the cross, right to the resurrection, right to the ascension. Then we jump on into Paul and start figuring out how to, how to be a, you know, live a, a successfully moral Christian life. And what I've come to find is that there's so much treasure in the life of Jesus is that you can't fast forward the life of Jesus, that every part of Jesus' life is an invitation and a model into how we ought to walk into the world, okay? It is an invitation, so everything Jesus did is something that he's modeling for us to walk in. And so we're following Jesus, but how can I follow Jesus if I don't know his life? And so that's, that's something that I really have been just kind of really diving into. Now, there's something really cool that happens at Jesus' baptism in Matthew chapter 3. When Jesus, people have not heard the voice of God for, for years. Um, Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament, and so there's something like 400 years of a silence. Where nothing was considered God worthy enough to be put in the Bible. ...or to be put in the canon of Scripture. And so there's this 400 years of silence. And so everybody's probably wondering, what is God thinking? What is God feeling? What is God up to? Right? Jesus comes onto the scene when he steps into ministry... ...and he goes, and there's a man by the name of John the Baptist... ...and he's baptizing people, and he's calling them into repentance. Jesus comes onto the scene, has John baptize him... And the Bible says that the heavens opened up, right? Right. A voice called down from heaven, and the Spirit of God descended like a dove onto Jesus during that moment of baptism. When that Spirit descended like a dove, Jesus was anointed to do the ministry that God had called him to do as a man. Whatever the first Adam did in messing everything up Paul says that the second Adam has come to get it all right and to straighten everything out. So in Adam, the Bible says, all die. But in Jesus, all live, right? So there's this undoing of Adam that happens in the life of Jesus to where we're leaving this place of death. And when we come to life in relationship with Jesus that we begin to step into this other place of this second Adam, and we begin to operate in a place of life. So what did God say when he finally spoke and broke the silence? Do you know what he said? This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. What's God thinking? What's He's up to? He's creating a family. He's creating a people. Through his son Jesus, that would be like Jesus and that would walk like Jesus. That's what God was up to. So here's Jesus. He hasn't preached a sermon yet, he hasn't done a miracle, he's been a day laborer, carpenter, hasn't done one thing of notoriety. Not one miracle. Nothing recorded. And what is God's words over him without him doing one thing? This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. That God is expressing pleasure separate from his son doing anything else. In other words, his pleasure is is that he's in relationship with his son. And that's what God says when you're in Christ and he looks down on you, you realize there's an open heaven. That he looks down on you and says, this is my beloved son or daughter in whom I'm well pleased. Before you did anything good, that's how God looks at you when we're in Christ. So once that reality hits your heart and you realize that it's a father, that's that's God the Father that's looking down and that he's got this affection for you, suddenly it frees you up and you don't have to wonder what's going on in his heart. You know what's going on in his heart. So now you can begin to operate in the identity of a son or a daughter and not as a servant or a slave or something of lesser value. So when you begin to operate in that relationship and you realize that the heaven is open, that there's a connection between you and the Lord, you suddenly are free to begin to step into the destiny and the calling that is on your life and begin to imitate the Son. Because here's what the Spirit's mission is. Are you ready? Here's the Holy Spirit. You know what the Holy Spirit wants to do? He wants to conform you into the image of God's Son. If that is not happening, then the Holy Spirit is not operating in your life. And that's not meant to be a slam. That's not meant to be a shot. That's meant to be an invitation to say, tap into Holy Spirit's ministry. Begin to open your life up to every weakness and every area that you've said, God, you can come here, but no further. Begin to remove those boundaries. Begin to remove those things you've set up begin to surrender to God and say, Holy Spirit, conform me into the image of Jesus Christ. And you know what? The Holy Spirit is really good at His job. He gets the job done. But when we don't know that, we just operate in these kind of weird things. We don't know what God thinks about us. Is God mad at me? I kind of messed up. Is He mad at me? Does He love me? And and so we get schizophrenic in our thinking and so we project onto God that he's schizophrenic about us. So we end up making an idol unto ourself, but all it is is the ventilation of our own insecurities that we're throwing back onto God. I'm going to tell you something. God's got his mind made up about you. He loves you, and there's nothing you can do about it. Doesn't that feel good? He loves you, and there's nothing you can do about it. But he needs to get that to drop from here to about 12 inches to right here to begin to satisfy your soul and you to find security and begin to find happiness and joy in that love of relationship so that you begin to believe what God's already saying about you. That the lies that we believe are generally not from Satan. They're our own wrong thoughts that God's thinking about us. So God just sets it right off. Jesus has not done a miracle. He hasn't done anything. He's just coming into the water to be dunked by this crazy man wearing camel hair and a leather belt and everything else. And he says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased." You ever been proud of somebody just for dunking somebody under the water? God's setting the standard. My pleasure is in you before you do anything. Now when I know that, suddenly I'm not operating from a spirit of performance to try to earn God's love. I'm operating out of already being loved and now I'm free to love other people. Because if I'm in performance mode, that means I'm earning something. And if I believe I'm earning something, well then I've got you in my debt. But when I'm operating in grace and I'm operating in free love, I'm free to love God and I'm free to love you because I don't need something from you to add any value to me. I can go ahead and love God regardless of what you think about me and I can love you regardless if you love me because I'm loved by Him and it's my debt unto Him, not my debt unto you that is causing me to love you. But if I'm in putting God in my debt and trying to make God love me by my performance and my ability, guess what I'm going to do to you? I'm going to try to pull you into my debt. Now my love isn't love anymore. Grace isn't free anymore. Do you know what that is? That's called paying for love. You know what paying for love is? Now I'm operating not as the bride of Christ, but as a prostitute. And I'll prostitute myself out to you if you'll give me the payment of affirmation that I feel like I deserve. But if I've stepped into the role as son and daughter standing before God, now I'm free. I'm in relationship. I'm secure. So I can love you regardless of what you do to me anyway. You see how freeing that is? The people get scared when you talk like this because they think, man, if you tell, God, tell people that God loves them, they're going to act all kinds of sinful ways. And I say, man, when the love of God hit my heart, that's the holiest I've ever been in my entire life. Are you kidding me? What you love is what you honor and cherish. That's what covenant is. And so God wants us to operate into that covenant and begin to see ourselves in Christ. That our true self is in Christ. That the old man that Paul's talking about that comes up every once in a while is fading away. But what we like to do is identify with the old man and think that Jesus is this far off ethereal thing that when I get into heaven, I'll be sitting on a cloud, uh, you know, playing a harp or something, and then I'll kind of be like Jesus. And God's like, no, I need you to identify with me now. Because you're not going to be judged for what you do in heaven. You're going to be judged for what you do right now. I submit to you, heaven doesn't matter as much as right now. Because at heaven, it's a done deal. Right now, you're in the opportunity to make decisions, to surrender to God, and allow the Holy Spirit to work through you to transform the areas of influence that God's put you in. In heaven, are you going to win the world to Christ in heaven? Right now is the testing period. So God is inviting us now to be sons and daughters of God. And to begin to operate in that beauty of that relationship. So that other people would see. And that anointing, that connection with heaven. So now when I know that I'm a son and a daughter. And as God spoke that over Christ, I'm in Christ, so he's speaking that over me. I'm a son and daughter in whom he's well pleased. So guess what? Everywhere I go, there's an open heaven. So I'm operating in that reality. That God is looking down and he's invested in every single thing that I do every single day and every second. So now there's no mundane common times because every time is an open heaven with the endless possibilities of a God of the impossible that is looking down in every moment of the day. Now that changes how you live. That changes how I go to AutoZone. That changes how I go to Walmart. That changes how I go get my oil changed. <laughs> because every moment is a moment of the possibility of the impossible. Every moment, there's a connection. And that's what you hear about when you hear the anointing. That's all that is. Is the realization that the heavens are open above me and that God is vested in making the image of His Son seen in me. That's the anointing. That's what destroys the yokes. I heard this definition one time. I can't remember who said it, but the anointing is the perfume that covers the stench of the flesh. (laughs) That's why when you see somebody operating in the anointing, it doesn't make you look at them. It makes you look at God. It doesn't draw attention to itself. It's always pointing back to God. And this is the relationship that he wants us to walk in with him. So what God's got to do is he's got to undergird us with his goodness. Because if I don't believe God's good, I won't ask him for big things. If I don't believe he's good and that he's really for me, I won't step into the fullness of my calling. I'll always operate in a, in a form of timidity or fear. And I'll even tell myself it's just humble fear, not wanting to, you know, get out there. But in reality, it's just a fear that I really don't trust God and how he feels about me. This is the parable of the talents. He gives one one five, one one two, and then one one. The guy with five, he just goes out and doubles them. guy with two goes out and doubles them. What does the guy with one do? Buried it. Why did he bury it? He said, I knew you were a hard man. I knew you reaped where you didn't even sow. So I was so scared to lose what you gave me, I buried it. And some of us, that's how we live our Christian life. We try to hang on to something that God's told us that we can't have unless we lose. You want to gain your life? Lose it, <laughs> right? God's saying invest. Go full out and trust that I'm with you. I'll double it. They say, oh, no, I'm going to hide it. Hang on. Get into heaven by the skin of my teeth. And all it reveals is we really don't know how much God is for us. We still aren't convinced he really loves us. Why? Because we don't love ourselves. Well, Jesus said, love others the way you love yourself. Right? Well, he said, well, that'd be easy for some of us because some of us don't really love ourselves all that much. But you know what Jesus does? He just does away with that. He says, a new commandment I give you. Love others... The way I have loved you, <laughs> and we hear that thing. Oh, there's no way. We say, no, it's an invitation. God's got grace for you to begin to grow into that kind of love. Yeah, that's what He's got. He's got a tremendous amount of grace, but we really got to believe that God wants to do it in our life, and that's where our perspectives have got to change. And Jesus is always. Changing perspectives. How many of you know you can say the right thing, but if your heart's not feeling the right thing, it's, it's just you might as well say the wrong thing, right? It's like that scripture, the, the willing and the obedient eat the good of the land. Well, obedience has to do with action, but willingness has to do with attitude. How many of you know you can be obedient and have a crummy attitude and not reap the beauty of what God wants to do in your life? That God wants it lock, stock, and barrel. He don't want just your actions. He wants the joy in your heart as well. So God doesn't get caught up in the words of people. I love that about God. He's always about who he is, and he's not moved by words that aren't, that aren't true, right? So like he shows up to Peter, uh, Luke 5, he says, uh, you know, they've been fishing all night. He says, cast your net on the other side, right? In the famous quote that you've probably heard sermons about, we've toiled all night, but at thy word. Right? And then they throw their nets on the other side, right? And, uh, man, there's such a big catch, they can't even hardly get them in. Peter goes to, the store, goes to the shore, and you know what Peter does? He falls to his knees and to his face and says, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. Does Jesus entertain that view of himself? (laughs) Jesus is saying, you're not getting off like that. We would think Peter looked really holy there, wouldn't we? Jesus doesn't even mess with it. Jesus doubles down on him. You know what Jesus does? You should read it. Don't be afraid. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. (laughs) He's tripping about some catfish flopping around in a net. They can... Get away from me, Jesus. You're too holy. And Jesus is like, dude, don't be afraid. I'm calling you to actually meet people where they're at and reach them that are made in the image of God. We get so caught up in catfish that we forget that we're in the image of God and that we're called to help other people get into the same image with us. So God isn't listening to your sob story. He ain't listening. You come in, depart from me, Jesus. You just don't. He's like, dude, don't be afraid. I'm like your father. And we're going to go change the world together if you'll let me come in and do some things. So we either have that kind of view, depart from me, Jesus, I'm sinful. And what that really is, is fear for what God might do through us when we really surrender. So we either got that view or we go the other way. Because Peter, spent a little time with Jesus. (laughs) Peter, you're going to deny me. (laughs) Uh, Sorry, Jesus. Uh, I would die for you. Peter, before the cock crows three times, or on the third time, I can't remember. You will have denied me three times. You see what happened there? The first time, Peter's trying to create this earning of God's whatever by misinterpreting his state before God. And then the other time, He's in a position to where he's so boastful that he's trying to tell God who he is and what he's going to do. And Jesus isn't moved by, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. And he's not moved by, I'll never deny you. Jesus is just real in the moment saying, would you stop all that? I love you anyway. I love you anyway. Would you quit all that? And let's just get down to the root of what's really going on here. Jesus isn't moved by our wrong thoughts about him or our wrong thoughts about ourselves. He's not moved by that. He's just not. He's in the reality of who he is in every moment. Uh, There's a scripture in, uh, let's see here. Well, John chapter 2, and uh, let me see if I can pull it up real quick. Oh yeah, okay, John chapter 2, verse 23 through 25. Look what Jesus says here. John chapter 2, verse 23 through 25. Now, while Jesus was in Jerusalem at the feast of the Passover, many people believed in his name because they saw miraculous signs he was doing. Watch this. Verse 24, powerful. Life changer right here. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them. Because he knew all people. And he did not need anyone to testify about man, for he knew what was in men. In other words, Jesus didn't entrust himself into the opinions of others because he was doing miracles. Because Jesus is setting up the definitive value that only the Father defines my value. And whatever you say, I'm not living on it because I know what he says and that's the value and the ethic that I'm living through. So when you begin to believe what God's saying about you, other people, you know, it can hurt. But man, if I'm anchored in what God says about me and I really know his heart towards me, shoot. That's just another opportunity for me to love you until you change your mind. Yeah. Yeah. That's what the grace of God does. It just keeps loving on you until you make up your mind and get your mind the way God's actually thinking about you. Instead of thinking the way you think about God. Because the thoughts you're thinking about yourself might not be the thoughts God's thinking about you. So Jesus says, I'm not entrusting myself to people. You see it all through scripture. The rich young ruler runs up to Jesus. Good teacher! You know what he's really saying? I can define what's good and what's bad. So I can call you good because I know how good I am. And Jesus says... Oh no, 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 my friend, there's only one good, and that's God. Now, if anybody's a good teacher, it's Jesus, right? I would have thought he would have took that compliment. He says, no. No, sir. You don't get to define my value and if I'm good. That's settled in heaven, and God says I'm his son in whom he's well pleased. Do you see what I'm saying? So, Jesus isn't going to be moved by the compliments and opinions of others. He's only going to be moved by the opinion of the Father. And that's what God's calling you into. That doesn't mean it's wrong to give somebody a compliment, but don't entrust yourself to it and sell your soul for compliments. Sell your soul for someone to tell you you're pretty, to sell your soul for somebody to, to tell you you did a good job and you know, and pout around because nobody noticed what you did. The father's looking down, the creator of heaven and earth, the creator of the universe is looking down saying, This is my beloved son and daughter in whom I'm well pleased. What else do you want? Come on, <laughs> Come on man, <laughs> right got the attention of heaven and you're worried about Joe so and so shoot take a hike man I got the father's attention are you kidding me I'm not going to be moved by the opinions of others I'm not going to entrust myself to people that are saying I'm in a season of my life that they can appreciate something coming out of me no father what do you think about this Because there's a group of folk in Matthew 7 that were casting out devils, doing miracles, prophesying. And Jesus said, I don't even know. But I'm sure everybody was coming around telling them how spiritual they were. No, I'm not entrusting myself to you. You know what that does? It sounds bad, like I wouldn't entrust myself to you. But what that does is that frees me up to love you. Because regardless of your opinion, I've not entrusted myself to you. I've entrusted myself into him. So you don't define my value. So I can love you until you get a picture of the value that God has for you. And I don't have to depend upon your opinion of me for me to love you. That's freedom. That's liberty. (laughs) And that's why the Spirit of God wants to conform you into the image of Christ. So you can be free from yourself. Free from yourself and your insecurities. Yeah. So this is what God is saying over you. And he wants you to realize it. Man, it's an open heaven. you got God's attention all the time. You know, there's never a scripture where God says, would you quit praying to me and leave me alone? People will tell you that though, won't they? You know, God never gets tired of you coming to him. Well, I've got to amen at the Presbyterian Church on that. Come on now. God never gets tired of you coming to him. Amen. Man. Right? He never gets tired of that. Matter of fact, he says pray without ceasing. I won't tell my own kids that. It's like, Go to bed. Go play with something for a while. I need a break, right? But God has the capacity to never get tired of talking to you. That you get tired before he gets tired. And he says, oh man, I wish they would keep talking to me. You've got to get a hold of this. Or you're going to be stuck the rest of your life. And if you like where you're at, that's fine. You can drop anchor there. But God has got a whole sea of His goodness and the Spirit of God and a journey for you to go on. I don't care what your age is. You're not used up. God's still got purpose on your life, and He's calling you into a deeper place than you can even imagine. imagine. He's calling you, man. And not as a servant or a slave, but as a son. Jesus even one-ups it and says, I call you friends. You can't choose your family, but you can choose your friends. God says, you're my friend. Man, you're God's friend. I mean, what do you even do with that? For a decade, we should just hear that thought and just sit for a decade dumbfounded trying to wrap our minds around. But we just move on. Oh yeah, yeah. Friend of God. Yeah, all right. And God's like, oh, would you just would you grasp this with me? Would you go on a journey of relationship with me, and let me reveal how much I love you? And the more love He reveals for you, guess what? Love does perfect love casts out all fear. So suddenly you're free. Those insecurities go. You're not performing anymore. <laughs> you're not trying to get the approval of others. You already have the approval of God, and so that's the place you're operating out of. And then you start feeling comfortable in your own skin. Because you really believe God loves you. I've been a Christian for, oh four. What is that? I need some math people. Basic math people. <laughs> 17 years. I've been a Christian for 17 years. And probably took me the last three to actually trust that God loves me. No, four. We'll say four. And you know what it took? It took a crisis for me to get to that place. Isn't that crazy? It takes us that long to just trust that God's not a liar and that I am. <laughs> like you would think that would be an easy sell. But there's something about us that just can't grasp it. So, yeah, so God says, I'm not entrusting myself to you in that kind of a way. I'm God all by myself. And think, if God did listen to us and our own opinions, he would have left a long time ago. Right? Think of of this. This is a funny scenario. Well, it's not funny, but it is funny because it didn't happen. Think of Peter when he said, depart from me, I'm a sinful man, and Jesus said, okay. Don't you think he would have said, hey, hey, wait, I'm not that sinful, hey. (laughs) I was trying to minister to a guy one time, and he was so convinced he had just went so far from God, there was no coming back. And I hit him with everything. I had every love scripture. God demonstrated his love for you. And while you're still sinners, Christ died for you, man. Yeah, I was just hitting him with everything. And he just, no, too late for me. I'm too far gone. And and finally, I got sick of it. Do you know what I said? I said, you know what? You're right. God is done with you. You know what he did? Hey, man, hold up now. I'm not that far gone. See, I'm not entrusting myself to fickle people and how they think and feel in that moment. Golly. I'm entrusting myself to something like that. I'm entrusting myself to the one who's the same yesterday, today, and (laughs) forever. The one in whose, the God of Father of Lights, in whom there's no shifting or changing. Oh, man. The Father of Lights, that was a reference there. Uh, people believed, uh, especially in the Greek world, that their fate was sewed up in the stars. So the reason why James says the Father of Lights there is it says, oh, no, your fate isn't sewed up in the stars or some astrology. Your faith. Or your destiny and your purpose is written in the heart of God and he's got the pen in his hand waiting on you to begin to partner with him to write your story your fate is not set oh man so what's the proper response Well, I think the proper response is to, oh, I'm doing good. We're almost finished. Proper response is for you to just agree with what God says about you. And you know the one person in the Bible that I found that did it, and there's probably others. uh, Nathaniel in John chapter 1. Andrew and Peter, I believe, run and get Nathaniel. Y'all it's got your Bibles. Y'all fact check me here. Doing no fake news. He goes, and they tell Nathaniel, we found the one who we're looking for. The size here. Nathaniel says, really? And I think they say something like, yeah, he's from Nazareth. And he goes, can anything good come out of Nazareth? he be like, Zach, it would be like, can anything good come out of Oklahoma? No, <laughs> you know, at least one thing good did, my brother Zach right here. I'm going to tell you, he's got a heart for God, man. He's got a heart for God, man. It's awesome. Uh, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And so they take him to Jesus, and you know what Jesus says? Behold. An Israelite in whom there is no guile or deceit. If I'd have walked up on Jesus and he'd have said that, I'd be like, Oh, you don't know me. i got a lot of deceit in here, Jesus. (laughs) Do you know what Nathaniel said? How do you know me? (laughs) How do you know me? He just agreed with what God said how do you know me? And Jesus said, I saw you under that fig tree. And then Nathaniel sold. But just, the prof- this tells you how dead the prophetic was in that time. Because he saw him under a fig tree, he was ready to fall- leave everything and follow him. Like, that's like basic, right? Like, that means me saying like, um... You live in a house. Oh. Like that's how dead the environment was. And he says, I saw you under that fig tree. And he says, oh man. You are the son of God. You are the Messiah. And Jesus says, you had not seen anything yet. Because when you start hanging with me hereafter, you're going to see angels ascending and descending up and down all around all the time he was inviting Nathaniel into a relationship into a glorious relationship you know what he was saying angels descending and ascending and descending that would be like jacob jacob's ladder when he dreamed, it's really a ziggurat. But, and there was angels going up and going down. So he woke up. He anointed a rock and said, This is Bethel, the house of God. There is a connection between heaven and earth. So Jesus is saying, You had not seen anything yet. I'm the connection between heaven and earth. And when you hang with me, angels are going to be coming up and down all the time. There's never a moment when you're not connected. Oh, man. man. So i got to think, God could be looking at us saying, look, here's an Oklahoman in whom there's no deceit. And when we get to the place where we agree with God and say, God, you're seeing what the potential is in me, not the current status or the thoughts I have about myself, Wow, how do you know me, God? That was an invitation into relationship. How do you know me? So This is what God says about us. Sons and daughters, if you're in Christ, if you're not in Christ, that's a different story. If you're in Christ, saying son and daughter. And instead of saying, Depart from me, Jesus. Why don't you say, how do you know me? How do you know me? Because I don't even know myself sometimes, Jesus. But I'm going to trust what you say, not what I feel or think. And I'm not going to lower your word to fit my experience. I'm going to raise my experience to fit your word. Good days ahead, my friends. I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you. Not to say they're not going to be tough, but God shows out when things get tough, man. Huh? I love that scripture, Peter's in jail and he falls asleep and the angel smacks him to wake him up and acts, oh, (laughs) I'm ready for some stuff like that. (laughs) I mean, I don't want to get smacked, but, you know. I just think the book of Acts is for today, man. I just think miracles. Why would God stop doing miracles? Why would God quit saving folk? The world's won enough. How about the church start winning some battles? Huh? It's coming, yeah, it is coming, Miss Betty. It's coming. It's coming for you too, yeah. It's coming for you. God's gonna do it. Dig your heels in and just, just believe what He says, regardless of what you think about it. God, thank you for your good thoughts towards us. You don't have thoughts of harm or hatred, God. You have good thoughts, thoughts of a future and hope, and blessings. So God, as us being evil know how to give good gifts to our kids, how much more you being the cornerstone of goodness and the fountain of all goodness from which it all flows, how much more will you give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? God, we need the Holy Spirit because we need to be conformed (coughs) into the image of God. But God, instead of trying and striving and imitating, God, we just want to surrender (laughs) and let you do it. So, God, we drop our arms of rebellion and say, Lord, just come in and just do whatever you want to do. Lord, teach me who I am in you each step of the way. God, let me not live through my perspective, but live through the perspective of how you see me. God, let me not live to what my thoughts are about myself, but let me think about the thoughts that you think about me, God. Lord, I pray that you would just begin to set us free from bad habits and bad thinkings and strongholds, God. Because nothing can stand. Nothing can stand when are when your spirit and your presence is in the midst. God break every chain. Break every chain, God. Let us realize that we're free. We're free.